You are tired of average. You want more out of life. You know you're capable of something greater. This show will help you become resilient in your home, at work, and in your community. Welcome to the Resilient Humans Podcast with your host, Kevin Wood. Hey, welcome back to the Resilient Humans Podcast. I have an amazing guest today. He was named one of the top 10 Spartan trainers in 2020, interviewed for Men's Health on OCR Training, a CrossFit affiliate owner for 14 years, and also wrote a recent book called Epic Training, A Comprehensive Guide to Obstacle Course Racing. My guest today is Rich Burgatti. Rich, how have you been? Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Um, I've been great. Things have been good. Uh, got a couple of races in so far the, this summer and uh, looking for one in November. And, uh, you know, life's great. Summer's awesome. So you're big into the Spartan race stuff. Is it just yeah. Spartan race or is there other races that you kind of also go into? I do. Since I'm a Spartan coach, I tend to revolve around the Spartan right. mainly. But now that they purchased every other race out there, so like Tough Mudders, I've done a handful of Tough Mudders um savage races the um bone frogs like so i I spread out in the new england area whatever is in the new england area i'll uh, jump on and go out there and race and run and uh sometimes i won't even post about it online i'll just go run a race and then that'll be it other times it's a big to do like running a team through these races but um mostly it's just uh partly for fun and challenge and the other half is like business and you know coaching so that's awesome um so tell us a little bit about yourself first before we dive into that Uh, there's obviously we can go pretty deep into this uh obstacle course racing stuff um i guess how did you get your start in fitness in in general i guess nobody nobody just starts up and signs up and like hey i'm gonna do a starting race for my very first thing maybe some people do but it's (laughs) very rare so kind of how did you get started in all this yeah sure so it um uh i mean i can go back as far enough as high school and junior high being a track and field athlete i was a mid-distance runner i ran the 800 for uh four or five years that's Um, a hard race that is that is what happens when you're you uh the last person to join and they're like well we've got this race available for you i didn't know any better but it, it turned out to be um really good for me i was uh i ended up being really good being top 10 in my league and you know um it was it was, it was a good time but it is hard um in uh I'll, I'll give you an aside you know talk about resilient humans right um my very very first race freshman year in high school uh doing the 800 as competitively i cried and crawled my way across that finish line now if anybody knows it's only two laps around but i went full ham on this first race and died about 100 meters from the finish line and crawled my way across now luckily i didn't quit <laughs> Yeah, because most people would be like, that was a horrible experience. Um, but I kept trying and kept trying. And eventually, uh, by senior year, I was, uh, you know, off in the league and really kicking a lot of butt. So that got you kind of into fitness, I guess, in, in your high school area. And then uh, what yeah. happened after that? Uh, after that, I got, uh, you know, I got into college, uh, discovered dating. Sports kind of fell to the wayside towards yeah. the end. But um, I got out, I got a job like normally, you know, like normal people do, you know, after my first year in the corporate life, uh, I was in uh, computer networking, I gained like a whole bunch of weight, 
was very unfit, looked in the mirror and went, what the hell am I doing? Um, and um, around the same time, I got laid off. And I was like, I have nothing to do with my life. What am I going to do? And a friend of mine invited me out to stay with them in uh, Santa Monica, California, where I figured out my life. Um, and he was a personal trainer. He's like, come to work with me. Let me show you what I do. And uh, so I saw him training clients. We went down to Muscle Beach, worked out. And I was like, wow, you can do this for a living? Well, he's like, yeah. yeah. I'm like, that's awesome. Now, I didn't jump in then, but it was in my mind now. I went back, got a corporate job again. And then five years later, I was like, this isn't for me. I, I, I was remembering how I felt on Muscle Beach working out as like a skinny track guy at the time. Um, and um, I was like, that's what I want to do. So around 2007, I got my certification, my first certification. And um, then I got CrossFit certified a year later, started doing CrossFit a whole lot. And then um, people started asking me to train them. And I was like, all right. So I started training people one-on-one -on -one, and then it turned into two, three-on-one. Um, and I was also teaching martial, I got into martial arts during this time too, ended up teaching martial arts and uh, loving that. And uh, I was like, wow, I, I really like teaching fitness, teaching martial arts, physical things. Uh, and that was awesome. So that's great. I've been to Muscle Beach myself. And Have I was, you? Probably around, the, I don't know when, what year you went. I, for me, I think it was 2007. No, it was 2008. Um, yeah, we went down there and it was, it's a, like a mecca it's like yeah. where the all the like big people and huge names go but uh i remember seeing the rings hanging from the the beat right they're just hanging. yeah they're the best yeah and i was like oh my god i'm gonna see if i can do a muscle up on muscle beach and then yeah. i did i'm like this is the best day ever <laughs> that's awesome yeah yeah that was a while ago yeah it um took me a few times to like swing all the way to the end of those they're yeah, those yeah, are yeah. Long rings they are the, the extra long straps makes it a little more challenging, but, um, all right. So that's kind of your, your fitness background. What, how did that lead you into obstacle course racing and kind of what you're doing today? Awesome. Well, uh, well, I opened up my affiliate, we started at, uh, boot camps in 2008. And by 2010, I had a location an actual four walls that I was, uh, subleasing. And I had, um, so this is, 2009, 2010. I have an athlete that I was training at the time and he came up and said, Hey, I want to try this new thing. It's called uh, a Tough Mudder. And I'm like, Oh, all right. Now, my gym was uh, less than a mile from Harvard University, which is where Tough Mudder was created. Um, a lot of people may not know that that Tough Mudder came out of a senior dissertation at Harvard and he turned it into a business and it ran from there. So it kind of grew from the Boston area. Um, so somebody heard of the first one that was about to go down in, uh, I think it was Vermont or New Hampshire. And I was like, I want to train for this. And I looked at it and went, wow, this is, this is amazing. And at the same time I was training for something called the death race. And then that year Spartan actually was born that year. It came out of the death race out of peak races created a Spartan brand in, in 2010 um, and so all of a sudden these two brands popped up that year and I had people that wanted to train for it and there were no trainers, no one knew how to do it. And so from my background in track and field and endurance, um, rock climbing and, um, you know, rope work, um, and kind of my ninja parkour skills, 
you know, kind of cobbled together a program and I ran people through this and they did awesome. They're like, oh my God, this is great. Everybody else that didn't train that was with them was having a horrible time. <laughs> they were like, they came back to like, yeah, this is great. We were prepared. And I was like, and they're like, when are we doing the next one? I'm like, I don't know if they're even going to run another one. So, so we started getting groups of people together, four, five, six, and uh, planning for the next one. And, and we were just training people uh, 2010, 2011 for these races and people loved them. And then it became hard to get people to do the races because video started popping up how hard these races really were. And then people were like backing off. And then it was a little psychology of trying to like teach people like, yeah, we can do hard things. You know, we we're doing CrossFit at the time. And I was like, what are we going to do with all this fitness? Like, let's put it to test. Like, let's take three months, let's train and let's go sign up for a Spartan race and let's go do it. And we'll see how fit you really are, you know, as opposed to just little tests in the gym or wads or things like that. I'm like, let's get outside and do it. So, and that's how we kind of started our training groups. From there. That's awesome. It's like the productive application of fitness. Yes. That's, that's really all it is. Yeah. yeah. And it always struck me as the, you know, Greg Glassman's fitness in a hundred words, the last, you know, last few lines are like, go play new sports. And I was like, I'm going to take this to heart. We're going to train for something outside the gym. And uh, that that's kind of carried us since then. So yeah. it's uh, 12 years later, you know, 2010 to 22 and um, still going strong. So, and, and you know, as well as I do that it, it works like, when you, when you train in the gym, the way we do, it translates very easily into these types of races because it's a lot of functional movements. It's lugging your own body weight and moving objects and running and crawling. It's we, these are the things that we practice almost every day. So it's a very, it's a very small gap to go from training in the gym to running one of these races. Yeah. And then you add that extra psychological component to it, you know, like I'm going to get dirty. Um, there's a risk of injury out there. There's a risk of unknown, you know? So like you have to deal with the mental component in the gym, the gym is kind of like a laboratory where, you know, everything's safe and clean and, you know, for the most part will work out. Right. And then it's like, let's take all this stuff and throw it in the mud and see how you do like, Oh man, that's a totally different paradigm throw a ski hill into the mix and yeah. throw some, throw some rain onto that. And then we'll see what happens. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I've done my fair share of Spartan races. It's been of all the ops course races. That's kind of the one that I was more driven to. I just like how they have um, different milestones kind of along the way. Um, you know, maybe you can go over that. Yeah. So Spartan obviously has different milestones along the way. They have kind of like, um, we'll call them beginner races, but they're still, they can still be challenging um, and different lengths along the way. So can you dive into those and what those are and kind of who they're for, for each one? Yeah, sure. So I'll, I'll actually back up a second from there. Before Spartan came out, the local mud runs and obstacle course races that were there at the time had no timing chips. Spartan was the first one to introduce competitiveness to these races. So um, a lot of people see how things are today and they think like that's always been the case. Spartan was completely different at the time from every other smaller mud run that was happening. Like they added that competitiveness, they added age groups, they added um, distances. So 
you know, it wasn't, they turned it from a weekend warrior kind of thing into a sport, I guess you could call it because competitive and timing and, and uh, very similar obstacles. They did, they also, the first year did not release any of the obstacles. You got a map with question marks on it. It's just a question mark, question mark, question mark. You're like, I have no idea what the obstacles are. So it was very um, intriguing and mysterious in the beginning. So you didn't know what you were going to get. Um, and so once they once they decided on distances, they came out with um, a sprint, a super, which used to be called the super sprint. Like it had a different name. Um, and then they had the beast. And then eventually they had the ultra beast, which is now just called the ultra. Um, and so the sprint is, um, well, now it's a 5k. They used to be all different distances in the beginning. So you'd say, Hey, we're going to do a sprint. It's going to be a 5k, but you'd end up, which is 3.1 miles or right. And you'd end up doing five, six miles on the mountain. You're like, that's wasn't a 5k. What was that? Well, they decided to not count any of the distances of obstacles in the, in the distance. So you do like a sandbag carry for 400 meters that didn't count towards the distance of the race. That was still like, that was just an obstacle you had to do. Yeah. And so by the end of the race, you're doing five, six miles. And that was a surprise to a lot of people. Recently, they've changed it to be very, uh, within the last three years, it's now a 5k, a 10k and a half marathon. So, and then the ultra is, is um, I think it's a 50k now. Uh, don't quote me on that because they've changed it a few times. Yeah, it sounds about right. La the last time I did one, it was like they advertised it as forty-two plus k. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it was it, you knew it was going to be longer than forty-two. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, once those came up, they standardized it. You know, they created having you know um, championship races from there, and then you know now we've got a full-fledged sport that's also vying for a spot in the Olympics. So. So there's a lot of history there. Yeah. And so what, who are the types of people that, that sign up for these different types of races? Well, I've seen lots of different people over the years. The first couple of years, you know, you had your early adopters, people who are hard charges, military, first responders, um, you know, hard gym goers, people, you know, who really want to push the edge. Um, now, um, it's all people from all walks of life. So one of the, last beast I did on Killington, which is, which is a very hard course to do. If, if no one's been out to Killington in, in Vermont and, and run that it's, you know, it's a very steep race. That's kind uh, of the, the ultimate of all of the races. Exactly. You know, it's their, their home territory. So they make it pretty, pretty hard. Um, at one point I turned to my side and there was a 75 year old woman with a hunched back carrying a sandbag and just blowing past 20 something year old guys, you know? And I'm like, this is different. Like I'm getting <laughs> my butt kicked from, you know, the 75 year old woman who has a physical malady and she's like crushing this course, you know? And like, I got to talk to her she's like, Oh, I live here in Vermont. I do hard things all, all day. Why can't I do this? I'm like, all right, that's awesome. You know? And so my last race I did was a bone frog and I ran into these two college students who it was their very first race and they went out for the, uh, the challenge, which is nine miles on the course, having never done a course before, they're just like, Oh, we're just going to do it. So 
it goes anywhere from like beginners to people who've been around a while. Um, you, you got a whole breadth of people, people who train, people who don't train, you know, people with uh, disabilities to um, people that are just having, you know, uh, you know, a rough time at life and want something to kind of shock them out of that. Right. You know, so this, the people that do it have changed since the 10 years ago. Now it's for everybody. You got groups together that are helping people go and do these, you know, support groups are important with these hard things. So it's, yeah. it's, it's interesting. You got a huge swath of people. You get there and you're like, these are just normal people. You could be in an office with them or on the mountain. Like you wouldn't know, you know, who's who, you know, it's, it's very interesting now. Yeah. I've done a couple, well, I've done quite a few individually. I, obviously I'm a more competitive type person. So as soon as you slap a, a time chip on me, I'm off. Like, I just want to see how fast I can do this, where I, where I rank in the overall grand scheme of things. I remember doing one in Ontario though. And for the shorter one, I think uh, I stuck with the group that I went. Uh, there was me and three other girls from the gym here, uh, my wife included. And we, I just kind of ran it with them. And it was a completely different experience than running it as fast as I can because there was a lot more laughter and enjoyment. And then the next day I did the, I think it was the beast was the the next one. We did, we started with the sprint and then it was the beast and uh, I wanted to go hard and I ran it as fast as I could. And it felt way different. <laughs> Obviously it's not the same as when you're doing it as a group, but each has their own purpose. So it's like you said, it's, it's neat to see that there's a whole bunch, like we've had people from our gym go as a group and do the longer ones and they have a great time. It's, it's a very, uh, a great opportunity to bond with that group of people because those bonds are forged while doing hard things. Absolutely correct. Yeah. And you don't, as an individual, it's, you're just kind of like, you know, pushing yourself or trying to see how well you can do. And it's, it's a much different experience than, than when you do it as a group, but I think both are valuable. I agree. Yeah. I had a very similar experience the last time I did uh, Fenway. So a stadium race. Um, so, which is only about two and a half miles at Fenway park here in Boston. And I started off with a competitive heat with my, my buddy, Brandon, and we like flew through it. And then I had the gym group. So I ran the race three times. So I went to competitive heat one. I came back, got into our gym group, which is about 15 people. We went through the course with them. And then, um, I took my 60 year old aunt through the course, her and I walked the entire course and did every obstacle and she finished like, but it took her like, so my first time through, it took me about 45 minutes to run the entire race. And then maybe an hour, hour 15 with a group with her. It was like, we were out there for three hours walking, you know, three miles, doing every obstacle, taking breaks. And it was so interesting, like you said, to see the difference between, you know, those competitors, people who are going really hard. And then like my 60 year old aunt, who's like, I just want to check this box. I want to say I did this thing. Right. And no matter how long it took, we were out there and we were doing it. That so. I've done the Fenway uh, race as well. And it was one of my favorite ones. It was a highlight of my obstacle course racing career. That's awesome. Yeah. Like me too. We, doing push-ups in the, uh, in the locker room. It was like, this is 
who else gets to do this? Like I this know. is a very select group of people. So anyway, that was one of my, my highlights for sure. Um, so you've obviously had a lot of experience with coaching others um, and seeing a lot of different types of people kind of go through these. How does obstacle course racing make a regular everyday person more resilient? What do you, how do you think that changes them? Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting um, question. And that one that I believe in myself is that um, the sense of mystery to place to that, where you're like, I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know all the obstacles, right? Because they still keep some of them kind of secret or in a different, or they switch them around a little bit. Um, and that leads to people trying to prepare for it right they don't think that they you know a lot of people just don't think that like hey i can just walk into this thing i need to be ready for it so that that immediately changes your mindset as soon as you sign up for one of these races you're like oh man what did i get into now i've got to train right if you don't do that you tend to coast through life right things you know things try to stay the same but now you got something to train for and so you start preparing, you start planning, you start looking at your deficiencies. Oh, how can I be better here? How can I be better here? Or your psychological, like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe I need an accountability partner or someone to train with, or if I'm really afraid of doing this thing, I'm going to train with someone who's going to help make me finish. Right. So that's where coaches come along. Right. Um, but once you're out there, you're kind of, even if you're with a group, you're still in your head. And so you're still faced with these obstacles that you have a choice to walk off the course or do the obstacle, right? Or take a penalty. Some of them have penalties. And so once you're faced with those choices, it's kind of binary. Who are you in that moment? Who are you going to be? Is it, you know, who you were this morning? Or are you going to be a different person by the end of this race? And, and that does happen. People get on there. And they're like, I didn't think I could do it. You know, I didn't have enough belief in myself in the beginning. And then they do this and they have confidence in themselves. They, they have a sense of accomplishment. Um, and then they get bragging rights. They're like, hey, I did this thing. It was hard, but I did it. And I'm proud of myself, right? And, and like, there's nothing more beautiful than that, than seeing someone turn, turn around like that and be like, hell yeah, I'm awesome. Yeah. It's that confidence boost that really, when I, and so how do, how do Spartans finish their race? What do they have to do? Uh, oh, you have to, you have to go through the, uh, the fire jump. Yeah. It's a fire jump. What a way to finish something that you just did really hard. Right. Yeah. And the picture that they get at the end, how many people don't share it? very few like that is such a huge moment i just ran this race i gave it my all i didn't know if i was going to do it and now you have to jump over fire are you kidding me like it's i don't know who thought of that like how what the thought process was for coming up with that's the way we're going to finish this race is jump over fire um and then take their picture while they're in the air but man it it just it's like icing on the cake it does it. It just does it for me. I don't know. It just feels yeah. like it's the crowning accomplishment of all of the stuff that I just went through. 
yeah, you got to push through these obstacles. I mean, I mean, it's an obstacle race. I mean, you take that word obstacle in the many different forms that you can think about it in, you know, the mental, physical, even spiritual obstacle of getting through these races. Uh, and you've got to face that down and make that choice, you know, and then, you know, you, you reap the rewards after. I mean, before the fire jump, they had gladiators. Yeah, I heard that, that was before me. But... By, right. And I have a few pictures of me, me going through these gladiators. There was two of them. They had these giant pugil sticks with foam pads. And so they were always volunteers. And they would try and take you out no matter what. Um, and that was a challenge like to get, you know, you'd have to pass them, then get to the finish line. Um, I've saw quite a few people getting, you know, hit with that stick and laid out and you have to get back up and finish the race. Yeah. I think it's a lot better having the fire jump. It's a much better feeling than be like, oh, I just got knocked on my butt and head, yeah. the finish line. <laughs> so you have a ton of experience with this, obviously, and you've coached a lot of people through it. You have taken all of that experience over these many years and turned that into a training book. Yeah. Can you tell me, well, first, what's it called? And then what was it like writing a, a training book for something that is that challenging and almost unknown? It's hard to specifically train for things if you don't exactly know what the terrain is going to be, what the obstacles are going to be, in what order. So what was all that like? Oh, awesome. Yeah. So the book is called Epic Training, a Comprehensive Guide to Obstacle Course Racing. Um, it just came out in June, just got published, um, a few months ago. So, uh, it took me five years to write this book. So I started writing it, um, about 2018, uh, was five years ago, 17, 16. Yeah. Um, and then, um, I actually had to scrap the first draft of the book. It was horrible. <laughs> um, I got some help from um, my buddy, TJ Murphy, who is the editor of Triathlon Magazine. Um, and um, I had a few other people read through. I hired some people, figured out how to actually write a book on this training. Because like you said, all these all these different paradigms, because it's not just running, it's, it's, it's running, walking, hiking. Uh, it's climbing, it's crawling, it's throwing um and, and all these different obstacles swinging and um carrying heavy things so it's like it runs the gamut i think it's the new multi-sport event of our generation right triathlon started in the 70s and 80s and got really huge in the 90s i think we're going to see something similar with obstacle course racing where it's still going to get bigger um and um because it offers such a wide variety of challenges uh, so if you, if you're a really great runner, that doesn't make you a really great uphill runner, right? Um, if you're really great at obstacles, it doesn't mean that you're going to be great at every obstacle. And so putting this book together, I had to think of who that audience was, who do I really want it? The first draft, like did everything from a sprint to an ultra. And I had no, no real vision of who the audience was. I was like, oh, let me just put everything down. And it read like a college textbook, right? It was like facts upon facts upon facts. And it had no life to it. Um, and so I was like, well, who do I need to speak to to give this a good story, to give this a good learning experience to? And so I dialed in on like my avatar of, 
a, a beginner, someone who hasn't done it or maybe did one race? Um, what do they need? What are they thinking of when they sign up? So I interviewed a lot of my older um, clients that I brought through the races. I was like, what was your mindset? What were you thinking when you signed up? And most of the time it was like, well, my friend signed up, so I did. Or I saw an awesome picture and I wanted that to be me, right? You're talking about those fire jumps. That was the best thing Spartan ever did for obstacle course racing was put a photographer at the finish line doing something crazy like that. And like, man, that gets people to talk, you know? It's still my favorite. My fire jump is still my favorite picture of all time. Like, yeah. I love my fire jump pictures. I put them, I just put one up on Facebook, you know, a couple of days ago. I'm like, look, remember, this was a great memory for me, you know? But so I had to think about that. And that's where the title actually came from. When I look at my fire jump picks, I go, that was epic. And I was like, shit, that's going to be the name of the book. Like, it has to have that word in it. So it actually originally started off as like the OCR Bible or like, um, you know, how to do an OCR, but it just didn't speak to what I wanted to speak to, which was like, we're going to do this really hard thing and we're going to be become epic from doing this, like an odyssey, like, you know, it's, it's more than just doing a race. Like it's not a 5k down in downtown, right. Where everybody jumps in, you run five, three miles and you get a beer. Like people can like run a 5k and go back to work you know <laughs> yeah. doing an obstacle course race you do a 5k obstacle course you're going to like go eat take a nap maybe recover you know you know how you have a few bruises or something deal like, with the blisters deal with the blisters right like there's way more to this than just running a race and so how do i get people past the fear of that how do we get people past wanting like not knowing how to train for these things right so that's what i really had to dial in and be like um you know what's the what are these people looking for what's the purpose so let's take them on a journey of, of an obstacle race and and what's important to train for them. and one of my philosophies you know from the beginning to now has been you don't need obstacles to run these races you need certain, you need to be strong in certain movements. You need to train in some obstacles, but most of the stuff you do in the gym can translate very well into what you need to do for the course. Um, Cause at the time of me starting to write this obstacle gyms are starting to become popular and pop up. The problem I saw with that, which is one of the messages I put forth in the book is that that's how overuse injuries happen. Too much obstacle work too much hanging, too much um, practicing, specific skill practice can be detrimental to your progress. Um, and so I really wanted to try and get that across in the book. Be like, look, it's a good base layer of fitness. And most CrossFit gyms will get you that. Then it's layering on top of, okay, what special skills do I need? Can I hang from a bar? Can I, you know, carry heavy weight? You know, can I go up a hill, right? And then from, you know, from training those things, then it's nutrition. Okay, what nutrition do I need? What distance am I going? You know, trying to demystify that because nutrition for racing, whether it's obstacle course racing or uh, triathlon or 5K, it's all different. So you need to know like, okay, what am I doing? So how do I eat for this? And I consulted uh, quite a few nutritionists on this. Um, I'm not a nutritionist, so... I got some help for that 
you know, to make sure my facts are right you now. And then the final part is the mental piece. What mental piece do people have? I got to tell you on these longer races, like a beast or a tough mudder, a 10 mile tough mudder, I have seen more divorces on those courses <laughs> than I can count. So like, how do you get mentally strong enough that you're not like ripping into your partner that's trying to help you finish this race? Like, what are you really there for? So, you know, those are definitely things that I had to think about. All right. Um, so that was, um, that was kind of what I, how the book kind of ran. So does that make awesome. sense? Yeah, hundred um, percent. It <laughs> the way you just described it, and I hope that some people listening to this will actually go out and pick it up because it sounds like it's obviously well thought out. But just the order and the the progression that you just described makes it seem like it's very interesting. Like it's not just like what you said the first draft where it was just like fact, 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 and you know that yeah. sounds kind of boring, right? But when you actually put what you just said into it and there, it sounds like it's, you know, with a story and passion behind it, the reasons why, et cetera, it, it just makes it sound more interesting to actually pick up and, and learn from. So I appreciate you uh, sharing that with us today. Yeah. Thanks. Kevin. Do right. you have anything else that you would like to touch on uh, before we sign off today? One of the things I found out with obstacle course racers is that they, tend to not go into the gym for a certain period of time. Like when it's nice out, they want to be out running, climbing hills, carrying things outside. So my coaching has actually changed to a more remote coaching for a lot of these groups where I have people, you know, contacting me all over like, Hey, I'm in Florida. I don't have Hills. How do I train for a Killington, a mountain race? Like, Oh, well, that's a, that's a, that's a problem to solve. Right. You know, um, or, you know, people like I don't have the, this right amount of equipment or I don't have like a, a obstacle course gym near me. How do I get stronger at like swinging or climbing? It's like, well, we have there are certain exercises that we can do that mimics these that you can get stronger with. And, you know, once you get out to the course, you'll see how well they did. You know, so don't be afraid to go outside, get dirty, train on your own, train with people, find a coach, go train in the gym. Like it, it takes a lot of different modalities to train for these races. Um, and the best thing you can do is find a group and train with them. Like Absolutely. have, have, have your, your, your mates carry you through, you know, it's better to do this in a group than on your own. Um, even if you're going to run competitively, have training partners. For sure. And another thing would be just sign up for a race. And then see what was the limiting factor. And now you have something to focus on for the next time, right? Exactly. No one trains for, and then signs up for a race. They sign up for a race and then they train. Yeah. You know, you need that date on the calendar that adds the pressure that gives you the focus to make it happen. So don't do it the other way. Don't wait until you're ready. Just sign up. Never be ready. Never be ready. That's true. Uh, Rich, I want to thank you so much for coming on our episode today, our show today. Um, appreciate you. And I'm going to share all your links, including a link to your book. Uh, if people want to look at that or pick it up, uh, they'll be able to do so in the show notes. So again, thank you very much for coming today. And I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Kevin. Love it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave a rating and review to catch all the latest episodes. Be sure to subscribe. And I'll see you next time.